Welcome back to Cargumentative, a multimedia live podcast in which we chat about all things motoring. I'm your host, Thomas Faulkner, and today I'm joined by Business Day Motor News Editor, Dennis Dropper, as well as Sowetan Motoring Editor, Renwin Naidu. Guys, how are you? Great, thanks, Tom. Good to be online again. Well, thank you, Thomas, and uh, yes, happy to be back and happy to be alive, most importantly. Exactly. Guys, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. And uh, just a reminder to all you listening out there that because of the coronavirus, we are recording in a virtual studio. So if the quality isn't 110%, you kind of know why. Still, the show must go on. And without any further ado, let's get stuck into some news. Dennis, what's been happening? Uh, our listeners may remember that in November last year, the Bloodhound Landspeed Record car came to the Kalahari Desert uh, in South Africa at Huxkenpan and did some test runs. And they went 1,010 kilometers an hour to be exact, which just to give you some perspective, that's equivalent of taking just one hour and 23 minutes to drive from Joburg to Cape Town. So anyway, the plan was that they would install a rocket on top of the jet engine that they already have on Bloodhound, and then come back next year for an assault on the actual official land speed record, which currently stands at just under 1,228 kilometers an hour. Unfortunately, as with most other things, coronavirus has put the brakes on that. So they think they'll only be coming back here in 2022 to attempt the record, because obviously they were wanting to get some more sponsorship. And as I say, the coronavirus has put the brakes on that. That's a real shame. I was looking forward to that. And I was actually hoping on maybe going up there to take some photographs and uh, chat to the guys because it looked quite exciting. Definitely. And it's really captured uh, the interest of the world and put a a bit of focus on South Africa in a positive way as well. Exactly. It's a proper feel-good story. Brenwin, what's been happening on your part of the world? Yes, well, I'm I'm going to stray away from uh, COVID-19 for just a second and talk about... uh, Audi releasing new images of its forthcoming fourth-generation A3 Sportback this week. Uh, at present, it seems as if the default body format will be that of a five-door. A three-door is unlikely, uh, given the waning demand for such a template. Aesthetically, in typical Audi fashion, uh, it appears to have progressed in a manner that's not really radical or dramatic, uh, as is often the case with evolutions from the brand. And of course, it will employ the same platform as the 8th generation VW Golf 8 with lower output versions using a uh, torsion beam rear suspension and more powerful cars getting a multi-length setup. Engines are yet to be confirmed. Audi said it was due here in 2021, second quarter, but given the current situation, we're not sure if uh, if that stands or if indeed any launches uh, planned. Still going to happen. Yeah, I'm afraid this virus has mucked up everything. Huh? It would have been quite cool to get that on the date that they originally said it would come out here. Is is there going to be a hot version? Have they have they said anything about um, the S3 or RS3? No, they, they haven't spoken spoken about S3 or RS3 derivatives as yet, but I think we can pretty much uh, bank on, on those coming. Uh, just going back to the, the body styles, I certainly hope that... Um, they give us a, a sedan version because I think the current A3 sedan is going to be one of the most elegant cars on sale today. I agree with you there, Brenwin. I'm really a fan of that sedan version. I think the proportions are just spot on. Uh, I mean, you know, the A3 has always been uh, a long-standing favorite and, and 
with good reason. It's fantastic quality. It's understated. It's it's classy. Yeah, unfortunately, people just aren't buying sedans nowadays. Eh? They want to sit two centimeters high off the ground. <laughs> of course, I mean, yeah, there's crossovers are, are all the rage. Um, so, so we'll have to, to see what happens there. But um, if you're a fan of, of the brand with the interlinked circles, but a new AP to look forward to, hopefully. Well, do you know what they should do? I think they should, they should just make the A3 um, a standalone sedan because they've got the A1 and the A1 basically kind of takes over from the A3. I mean, it's, it's, it's very similar in terms of size and everything. And I think it looks a lot better. So I don't know what you guys think, but, but you almost, it's, it's almost become kind of, it's almost become redundant in a way. You could argue that, except that if they just make a sedan version of it, as good as the car might be, it brings us back to my point that people are just buying crossovers and SUVs nowadays. They just don't like sedans for some reason. Yeah, and I think Audi do have the basis covered in terms of a crossover slash SUV sphere. I mean, you've got the, the Q2, the 3, uh, the 4, which is imminent. Uh, but then again, no, we don't know if that's going to come anytime soon. You know, you've got the 5, the 8, pretty much all the numbers are, are covered. And yeah, I think uh, I think we might see the likes of the A3 taking a back seat in the overall uh, uh, brand plan there. Yeah, it probably will. It'll probably become like the Golf, you know, where, I mean, a lot of people are saying that the Golf 8 is going to be the last hurrah for that nameplate. And maybe this generation of A3 will be the last one. Um, mm. we'll, we'll have to see. Uh, on my side, we still got a little bit more time before Paige starts waving her arms at me. Um, I saw quite a cool piece on The Atlantic about how drive-in movie theaters are making something of a comeback in America, Germany, and South Korea. Uh, people looking to enjoy a big screen movie experience can just arrive, show their virtual tickets on their phone without opening a window, and then enjoy a blockbuster from the isolation offered by the car's cabin. And obviously, it's all to do with um, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Um, so I thought that was quite a interesting bit of news is that the drive-in is making a comeback in these times. Well, that's very cool. I remember back in the day, I won't say how long ago that was, but when I was in, in my teens and just starting to date, that was basically the, the only place we had is to go to the drive-in on a Friday night and sometimes stay for, for three shows. They called it the Midnight Special. So, and as far as I know, all the drive-ins have now closed in South Africa. I think there was one still in, in Pretoria. Uh, but as far as I know, that one's shut down too. I think they're all gone, Dennis. I remember I went to the, um, I think it was the Felskun drive-in, which was in uh, quite close to Stratton Park. Um, and it was the last weekend. And I went to go and uh, see what was happening there. And it was actually quite sad because they had these really bad films showing. Um, I think it was like Mr. Bones 5 or something <laughs> like, like dreadful like that. And I just thought, you know, what a wasted opportunity. You've got this drive and you've got this, this fantastic sort of, you know, place where you could celebrate great films. Like you could have had the original Star Wars, you could have had the Exorcist, you could have had all these, you know, sort of old school greats to send your drive-in off, but they just didn't do it, unfortunately. The last film I saw at Feldskun Drive-In was Cars. So I thought that was quite appropriate. That is. That's a lot more more so than uh, Mr. Bones 5, I can tell you that. <laughs> I think for now, our best bet would be to take your, your smartphone into the car in the garage, sit there and scream some 
some coke, <laughs> like some popcorn, <laughs> take some biscuits. Yeah, we might have to do that. Don't even joke. <laughs> That's all the time we have now for news. We're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we're going to be talking about sim racing. Cargumentative is a podcast about all things cars and motoring. If you are interested in advertising on the show, please forward all queries to timeslive.co.za and click on the advertising tab. Tune in to Cargumentative every Monday morning on Times Live Motoring. Welcome back to Cargumentative. So over the last few weeks, we've seen a lot of news stories highlighting the rise of simulator racing. Thanks to all the lockdowns, travel bans, and social distancing brought about by the coronavirus pandemic. Now, one of the biggest stories around this topic was when Formula One announced that it would be holding so-called virtual Grand Prix in place of the postponed real-life events. Fans are able to tune in and watch via digital broadcasting platforms like YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch. Shortly after this happened, a whole lot of other formulas followed suit, including MotoGP, NASCAR, and the Porsche Cup Challenge. So it seems like for the time being, virtual has become the new reality when speaking about racing and motorsport. So to find out more about the world of sim racing, its origins, and how you guys at home can actually get into it, we decided to get two serious e-sport enthusiasts into the studio to chat about it. I'd like to welcome Richard Herring and George G. Max Smith to the show. Guys, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure, man. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for allowing us to come and uh, invade your Real Motorsports podcast with something that's definitely not really had many viewers on it, uh, except for the last couple of weeks where it's pretty much the only way that racing enthusiasts can still get their fix uh, for their, their motoring love, right? It absolutely is, George. It absolutely is. I mean, uh, that's that's where everybody seems to be steering towards. Uh, as I mentioned before, all these all these multi-billion dollar franchises uh, are taking it online. So, George and Richard, I'd just like to know, you know, there are other people at home who don't really know what sim racing is and they don't really know why they should care. So, I mean, I'd like to get you guys to maybe explain on a, on a broad base level, like what it is all about. So... Really, what I think sim racing is, is just the ability for people to kind of experience something that they wouldn't get to experience in real life. They might not have the needs or the means to uh, really experience real life motorsports. And these sim racing games have kind of filled a little niche uh, in providing somewhat of a realistic experience. I mean, we are talking about the ability to sit at home get online with your, you know, up to 80 people on, on some of the big grid events. And as long as you've got a, you don't even need a wheel and pedals. I mean, you could join with a controller, a gamepad. There's really no limit to how you can get into it. So to be honest, it gives you this ability to experience the, the thrill of racing uh, without really getting behind a real car. And I, I wouldn't say in an instant that, you know, People who had the option to go and get in a real car, who enjoy sim racing, they would probably go and get in that car uh, and ditch the gaming side if they had that option. But for a lot of people, we don't really have that option. 
And this is as close to the real thing as we can get. And with the advancements in technology and graphics and sounds and laser scanning of tracks, you really can get into um, experiencing something that's quite special. I wanted to know, I mean, what do you need to get into it? Um, a lot of people have been asking, you know, do I need a PC? Do I need a, a console like a PlayStation or an Xbox? What are the basic requirements in terms of gear? Yeah, I think I think the barrier to entry can be can be quite actually low on some of these. I mean, PC side of things, you, you know, to run some of these games on on the absolute full graphics to get the full experience out of the, the weather effects and the lighting and all that kind of stuff, a, a decent PC is required. But if you have a PS4, there are absolute fortunate games out there that you can enjoy, and a lot of the PC games are now also heading towards the consoles. So there's a real crossover of of what you know people with the console and now not missing out on what the PC guys are doing as well. But like George was saying, at the end of the day, you don't really need a, a wheel and pedal. It is nice to have. Um, you can obviously get quite silly with the costs of those. Some of the rigs can go up into the tens of thousands of rands. Um, but at the end of the day, if you're looking to just, you know, put your toe into the water, essentially you can get going on just the, the console standard gamepad. I see. So, I mean, would you recommend something like uh... Gran Turismo or, or Forza. I mean, what are the titles that, that you guys would recommend uh, first-time sim racing enthusiasts to, to you know, sort of try out? I, I think this is where George might, might, him and I might disagree on one or two things. I I run a, an amateur racing team in Gran Turismo that's, that's quite successful in the grand scheme of things, but it's a really strictly amateur team, you know? No, no, I, I think what you're going to go, I mean, you're, you're just getting nervous for when we, we're going to compare Forza versus Gran Turismo. I mean, Tom kind of set us up for a little, uh, a little, yeah. a scrap there. But I mean, I've, I've evolved. I've grown up. I've, uh, I've left those, those kind of scraps behind me. And I can quite honestly say that whatever you get into will evolve into something else if you enjoy it. So if you just want to get behind something and you've got an Xbox, Forza is the way that you go. You can't get Gran Turismo on Xbox, so you would go for Forza. If you are on a PlayStation, then you can go straight into Gran Turismo Sports, which is a, a much more uh, sim what you, simulator-based game, simulator risk experience, but still forgiving to new players. The, the important thing for new drivers is for them to get into this world of virtual motorsports and to actually enjoy it and have fun, because from there... You can choose what you want to do. I got into this this entire scene from virtual drifting. So I was a big Forza player, loved drifting in Forza, had no interest in grip racing. Track racing was like, eh, I don't really, I don't think I'll ever go into that. I love this, you know, massive amounts of tire smoke and huge oversteer. This is, you know, holding the door panel of someone and, and, and creating art form on the track. I loved drifting. And then suddenly next thing, you know, I'm uh, I'm hosting virtual grip series and, and doing commentary on it with a community I'd never seen before. You suddenly just find these transact transitions into things that you want to pursue. And at this point in time, we've moved over onto Seto Corsa Competition on the PC. They've announced that to go over onto the console in the coming months. So, so that will go to console and that will give console players quite a competitive game for them to get like into the water with. They don't even have to worry about just messing around in Forza or, you know, finding what they want to do. They could go straight into things with a set of course of competition, which is uh, without a doubt, one of the most competitive GT3 games that's, that's come out at the moment. 
You guys mentioned community. I take it there's a very strong online presence, um, and that's and that's how you go about racing all these events. Um, and I mean, is there quite a big scene in South Africa in terms of online sim playing communities? I'd like to call it growing. I wouldn't say that it's massive compared to some of the communities for other traditional games that are out, late, out there, the likes of Counter-Strike and uh, Fortnite and those kind of things. But I think that what is important is that with the likes of Discord and, and all these sort of uh communities that allow people to you know allow new members in and, and expand it used to be quite close-knit everybody did their own thing it's now starting to expand out you're getting drivers that have, have formed up in other communities um a lot, we didn't really have support from traditional tournament organizers and things uh, to start out with no one really wanted to pick up sim racing it's something that in the last couple of months has become quite popular uh, but before that, everyone kind of ran their own thing. If you wanted to run a Gran Turismo league, someone took it on their own to to run this thing and get drivers signed up and, you know, run a league. And if they streamed it, they streamed it. If someone was doing a set of Corsa, they were doing something on their end. Someone was doing Formula One. There's kind of a whole bunch of different people who are just passionate in the community trying to um, really host things and, and, and encourage players. And that's kind of where Richard and I have now slotted in is we joined up with a community called Dominus Gaming, who hosts uh, races for people where we've got a little prize pool going. We do commentary, we, we, we stream it onto a Twitch channel and a YouTube channel live um, so people can tune in. And and that's where we're, we're trying to drive things is to get everybody into the same sort of uh, community where if we host something in one of those other platforms, everybody would join up to it who plays that game or, or wants to compete in it it's all about eyes you want to get eyes on as many events as possible and then how do you go about racing people online i mean i'm a complete noob you know i, I mean i've got a, a playstation 3 with an old copy of gran turismo 5 um, i take it that's not supported anymore but but say i have a, a newer console how do you go about getting online finding a bunch of guys and just having a, a good time out there on the racetrack I, th I think that largely depends on the game you end up choosing to play, the community you end up joining. Some games have a, a real pick-up-and-play element to it. Gran Turismo Sport, for example, has its sport mode. You can literally push it, say, yes, I'd like to join this Nations Cup race, and off you go. You're competing against English, French, American. You can compete with people from around the world. It's a very, very quick thing to do. Other games take a little bit of formalization. And that's where these communities become quite important that we mentioned before is that allows you to have formalization. So if guys are creating lobbies, add the guy as a friend on your console, whichever console it is, even if it's a, it's a PC, you add them through whatever platform it be Steam, and then you'll be able to see his particular lobby. If it's an organized race event, only the people who are meant to be in that lobby will be able to join that lobby. They'll have a password. So you just kind of have to look for what your flavor is. If you want GT3 racing, you know, a set of course of competition is probably your best bet. If you're, if you're looking for flavor of the week style racing, GT Sport can, can fulfill that for you. So it really does come down to the game you're playing. Just to add on to that, I mean, what Richard has said there, that's kind of the reason behind something like this Discord channel, uh, the Dominus Gaming Discord channel that was created. We have, you know, hundreds of people that, that can join up here. I'm not even sure of the member count, but there's new new members join every day. And it's pretty much like a, 
uh, a notice board, right? So when we hosting an event or something gets uh, created, this is where everybody can log in to see what's happening. So at the same time, you could have a traditional website. Dominus Gaming has a website where you can log in and see events that are being scheduled. You get two different types of racing. Some people just want that casual pick up and play, like Richard was saying. You don't have time to commit to a league or, or something like that. You just want a good fixer racing and you go and join these, these online uh, lobbies, which, yeah, they could have good drivers. They could have bad drivers. But as you progress through your, your rating level, you build your own level up and your rating up and you should start getting matched against pretty similar people. So at the start, it might be a bit intimidating to people to just jump onto these sort of uh, online lobbies without meeting people. And that's why at the same time that we promote people join these things, we also run a community-based thing on a Monday, a Monday night racing server, which is a pretty much real drivers on a track. So all of us will be on the track uh, but it's a much more amateurish, friendly environment. So we alternate between different sims. We do project cars two one week, Assetto Corsa the next week. And we encourage new drivers to come through and drive with us and kind of get that experience for racing and learning what it's about. I mean, there's such, if you haven't watched real life motorsports, you might not understand what it, what, you know, over, over defending is or, or changing lines multiple times or ignoring blue flags is. And we're trying to, encourage these people to come and race with us learn what all of this is about and if they really enjoy it join and, and sign up with a more competitive league-based thing later on in the week so if they want to do the wednesday night racing they can sign up they know that it's happening every wednesday at eight o'clock and they can come and race against like-minded individuals keep it competitive or they can just join every monday you know and come and do some casual racing Excellent. absolutely yeah. So if I may just add on to one of that, and it's worth just mentioning the, the distinction between what George is talking about here. He's specifically talking about PC sim racing. You know, there's, there's almost no racing games, as far as I'm aware, that have a cross-play where people on console can race against people on the PC. So if, you know, if there are amateurs looking for um, things, maybe we can share that information with you guys for, this, for the link. But there are a number of communities that console racers can join as well. I mean, George mentioned Monday Night Racing. There's one called Logistical Nightmare Racing, which is really there for fun. There's a, an am, a very amateur side of it and a, a side of it for guys who want to take it a bit more seriously. So again, very welcoming, very very much trying to teach guys, you know, this is basic rules of racing, like George says, over defending, ignoring blues. So both, you'll be able to find that element of community in almost any platform, really. Dennis and Benwin, you guys have been very quiet. I'd like to bring you guys into the conversation, if I may. Um, what do you think of the whole uh, sim racing craze? And do you guys think it has a space uh, in our, our sort of world going forward? Yeah, Thomas, De Dennis here. I, I used to play quite a lot of uh, PC games, uh, including Grand, Grand Prix 2. That's where I, where I cut my teeth. And also Toka Race Driver 2, which I got specifically because it was the only game at the time that had uh, Kyle Army racetrack on it. And I was actually racing real cars at the time, and I found it quite a useful simulator. Now, well, let, let's say semi-useful. I'd like to ask the guys, uh, firstly, is there a game or games that, that have the, the latest Kyle Army uh, track on it? Yeah, there is. So Assetto Corsa Competition, they've just released their latest laser-scanned edition of Kyle Army. So they've got the latest up-to-date version of that. Okay, great. And then secondly, I mean, how realistic are these simulators nowadays? I, 
I've been hearing you guys talking now for a few minutes, and I've been hearing you say sim much more than you've been saying game. So are, are they quite realistic? I mean, I, I haven't unfortunately had the option to drive a GT3 car around Kailami, for example. Um, but with reference to what some of the more professional drivers do, I mean, David Perrell, he's quite a well-known driver that we all know. He plays a lot of Assetto Corsa competition. He raves about the, the simulator. He was very involved in a lot of the production from Kunos's side. He helped with a lot of the sound effects that go on in the cabin, not just from the engine sounds, but, you know, the sounds of the brakes and the sounds of, uh, you know, the little rubber marbles being kicked up into the car. So I think that they've, they've, they've nailed it in, in terms of, of sense and feel and sound to a point where real racing drivers do rave about these things. I don't think that I could really compare them without having the experience. But for me, I, I mean, I've watched a lot of onboard footage and YouTube videos and, for me, I compare that to what my game sounds like. And uh, to me, it, it feels pretty similar and pretty realistic. Right. Guys, um, I've, I've been lucky enough to have had a go with uh, Assetto. And um, I mean, as you say, you know, the virtual space has become incredibly realistic. You've got astounding lifelike graphics and uh, sort of true to life vehicle dynamics. But how do you envisage the, the space will evolve and get even more true to life in the future? Or do you think we've reached peak digital? Um, I, I, I don't think we've reached peak yet. I mean, looking at the developments that have come along the lines with the sim gear side of things, things used to be simple uh, bolt-driven or gear-driven wheelbases. They're now using direct drive motors. Uh, so a traditional wheelbase, wheel and pedals, what you'd be feeling through your, your hands would be about six Newton meters at the max at the top end level. These direct drive wheels can simulate up to 30 Newton meters. So obviously give you a bigger sense and feel of, of what, you know, a real life racing driver would be going through. Uh, your brake pedals and things can all be set up with proper load cells. You can set them up to have, you know, a 65, 75 kilo braking force requirement. So you can, if you are a racing driver, you can jump into this thing and, and set it up to as you would feel in your, your real life racing car, motion simulators, I mean, we've only just started with the world of actuators, uh, virtual reality, VR changes everything. I think it's only really the start. I'm not quite sure. I think the biggest element that I would always say is lacking in a sim would be obviously that, that real sense of inertia and those G-force simulations. I mean, I've never driven a car. I've been driven as in a hot lap around Kailami in, in an R8. And for me, just being driven at those levels and feeling what that car was doing to me. I'm not quite sure how they would get that into a sim, but I mean, they've got like seat belts that go onto your rig that kind of tighten up when you're going into braking zones, kind of simulate that feel. And I think there's quite a lot still to be explored. I guess people are also quite wowed when Need for Speed Hot Pursuit came out and how realistic it was. You know, it was just the start of things. Yeah, exactly. And and every time something comes out, they kind of push the limits and they go. And uh, I mean, we're, we're only talking about things that are still kind of viewed as games. We still play them on gaming platforms. If you look over to the iRacing world, I mean, they have the most uh, real world drivers in their in their leagues. They pay quite a lot of money people to to play that sim every month as a subscription based service. Mm. Um, 
we haven't even we haven't even really got into those those sort of depths of things in in other simulators so i think that yeah this it's only just the tip of the iceberg and for us who, who have been kind of involved in it for the last couple of years and always been passionate about it it's just great that more people are, are, are seeing it and, and putting involvement into it I've had guys contact us wanting to to throw real uh, racing events, virtual racing events where we contact real drivers to get involved in those kind of things, try and get some South African drivers. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's pretty exciting for Sims at the moment. I just wanted to ask, just how big is the scene? I mean, how many people would you have in your sort of Dominus gaming club? How many people are, are taking part? Um, so in our in our scheduled sort of Wednesday night races, uh, we've got 30 drivers that are signed up for that. Uh, things have kind of changed around. A lot of people don't have the same access that they had previously. Uh, so we see that kind of dropping down to about 20 drivers on the grid. Um, but yeah, in, in South Africa, we, we're quite lucky with the sim racing side that we don't have to limit ourselves to just joining South African-based lobbies. And I think that's something that we started to explore that a lot of our drivers have a lot of talent to actually start joining up with some of the EU leagues that are running. And they've got, uh, let's say, five tiers running every Wednesday with 40 drivers per tier. So we don't have the, the restrictions with internet pings that traditional games had. If you played shooter games and things like that, you would know you can't join an EU server because the lag is so bad that you would get guess, disconnection permanently or or destroyed yeah and you're not even allowed to stay there whereas with sim racing uh that kind of ping is is not really uh something that limits us and we can just join up with these eu leagues so you see a lot of our our drivers just going and joining up with um a lot of the races happening in europe at the moment and then last question from me um talk to us about the outlay in terms of data that is required if you're doing this from a pc does a person need to budget extensively for this or a fairly decent home Wi-Fi connection do? Uh, no, you know what? Uh, online gaming is is probably one of the least data intensive activities that you can do, uh, mostly because everything that's taking place is actually rendered on your side of, of, of uh, your console or PC. Uh, it's, it's pretty much just tracking other people's positions. So your data usage isn't high. Uh, if someone is watching Netflix, for example, or watching some kind of uh, streaming service, they will consume way more data than you would doing an hour of racing versus an hour of streaming something. It's it's yeah. almost half or a, a third of that. Yeah, it's considerable the difference. It really can be specifically games like George was saying, where the heavy rendering is all done by the PC or the console. Very, very little takes place. Plus you get games that will also, you know, circumvent. It's also worth mentioning though, that if you don't have a stable connection, some of these games do make you make you dangerous. So it's always worth, if guys are interested in doing this, just checking the stability of their line. Because as George and I have seen today, doing some stewarding stuff for Dominus, guys with poor internet connections turn into bullets on the track and it wipes people out. So it's worth just, if you are interested, just make sure your your, your line is stable. Investigate something that's that's stable for you. And then guys, in terms of, of, of wheels, you know, playing on a gamepad, I suppose, is a cheap and easy way to get into it. But um, if you do want to evolve and get more immersed into the the racing sim scene, how much do you need to spend on a wheel? And do you guys have any recommendations? I mean, the 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 question of wheel and pedals is, is going to be something that's thrown around sim racing based on budgets. And I think getting into things, 
Uh, Logitech has a G29 and a G920, which are pretty much entry level wheels. They go for about, correct me if I'm wrong, Richard, four and a half grand. About that, yeah. Yeah, about four and a half thousand rand. That gives you a wheel base with pedals. Um, if you want to spend a little bit more, some of the Thrustmaster offerings, they they are now belt driven, so they're not just gear driven. So it gives you a little bit more fidelity. You get a little bit more strength and force feedback. But it, it's all down to how much you enjoy it, how much you want to spend. I don't know a single driver that didn't start on something like a Logitech G29. I started on one of those. I've moved on to a Thrustmaster. I plan to go on to direct drive by the end of the year. It is a little bit of an addiction. So I do I do warn any new sim drivers that once you start, it's quite hard to stop. And um, it's quite easy to then uh, also just justify things to, to the wife or significant other that it, it will make you faster on track, uh, which is most likely not the case. Some of our best drivers came over from wheels that were 20 years old or 10 years old that didn't even have force feedback in them. It was essentially like driving with a game pad. Uh, you just had a wheel instead of a, a thumbstick type thing. So to be honest, the, the barrier to entry is really not too bad. Entry level four and a half K, but some of the direct drive things. I, I drove on a simulator two weeks ago. The entire thing all in uh, was worth about 126,000 Rand. Uh, that excluded that excluded the computer used to run it. Um, so yeah, it, it can really scale up, but four and a half thousand rand entry level or just use a, a controller, you know? Excellent. So yeah, I guess with, with real racing as well, it just comes down to how much you've got and how willing um, you are to go um, in terms of financial outlay. The, the clock is ticking. I've got time for one more question. Dennis, Brenwin, I don't know if you guys... Uh, have anything else to ask? Um, what, what was the first ever ever racing game you guys played? Uh, Richard, I, uh, you, you I, start. I, I, well, I, thank, thanks. You know, I'm older than G, so it's probably going to be <laughs> the game. Um, man, I, I honestly can't remember. I know it was a, a, I know it was a PC game. It was with my old man back in the day, and it was also with one of those wheels that was just basically like an elastic band connecting the two. You turned left, it shot back to the right. You know, it was one of those. And I just remember it being classic Formula One cars. That's, and I just remember getting shouted at all the time because it was bedtime and, and I, I just, all I wanted to do was drive class, like classic racing cars. I actually have a feeling it was that, that game with the classic Kyle Army because I've got a memory of that as well. I um yeah, I, I struggle to remember those type of things as well. I didn't really grow up playing too many games. I kind of, had a, a stint with them and then stopped playing. Um, but definitely uh, the mention of Tokyo Race Driver 2, that was definitely uh, a game that I had a lot of time and a lot of fun in. And there was also one of these old F1 style games I used to play with my friend Alan. He had a PlayStation. None of us had PlayStations. And we used to just go around to his house. He didn't even have a memory card to save our progress. Um, so every time we went around, we had to just play as much of the weekend as we could. We always did like <laughs> weekends and we just we wouldn't turn it off we would just put the whole console into the drawer and just leave it on so we could resume <laughs> the next day um but yeah those were those were my early memories and uh, guys um if we've got listeners out there who want to get in touch with you guys or, or find out about your lobby hosting and all that kind of stuff um how can they get in touch with you follow dominusgaming.com that's where we pretty much post all the new events uh, there's also a link to the discord channel there i would recommend that anyone that wants to get involved joins this discord channel 
all the information kind of comes through here. If they've got Twitter, they can follow me at Sede underscore GMAX. I post new updates there all the time. It's it's pretty much sim racing based. Um, but yeah, that's that's from my side, Rich, and your end. Yes, uh, same with the um, with the Twitter. It's just Angelus Sede. Um, and if you guys are going to be putting the spelling of some of our names, people might not pick it up straight away. Twitter as well, like like we said, a lot of our our content's motorsport based and sim racing based. Um, and yeah, just to reiterate, this Discord is really going to be a portal for anyone who's interested, as it gives you access to all the other communities, whatever your flavor may be. There's there's going to be a community there for you. Fantastic. Well, guys, thanks so much for joining us uh, in our our virtual studio, and thank you for hosting it today. Um, there just there's so many more questions that that I'd like to ask, but unfortunately, we don't have the time. Um, but yeah, it's exciting times and. Um, I must say, I'm I'm pretty keen to give this whole sim racing uh, malarkey a, a whirl, you know. So after the lockdown, I think I need to track down a, a G29 and a, a PlayStation 4 and uh, get stuck in. Um, Dennis and Brenwin, thanks again for joining me. Uh, it was Thank good you. to hear voices again. Thank you, Thomas. You know, nice to speak to some people after all this isolation. And uh, f- for all you guys at home, thanks for tuning in. And we'll hopefully be back next week for another episode of Cargumentative. Until then, uh, stay at home, keep safe, and yeah, we'll be back soon.